This podcast is presented by DistroKid, an incredible service for musicians that helps you upload your songs to all music streaming platforms from iTunes to Spotify and Apple Music, then pays you revenue from your songs all in one place. They've got a really cool new feature called Splits that allows you to add collaborators so you can pay your co-writers and fellow musicians without needing an accountant. To get 30% off your first year's DistroKid subscription, just head to distrokid.com slash VIP slash hard times. Today's episode is brought to you by Anchorfish Printing. Hey, are you in a band? Do you run a label? Or maybe you just want to make some merch for fun. You should hit up Anchorfish Printing. They've been taking care of bands for over 15 years. I first met the owner, Michael, when my band Touche Amore started, and he was our go-to guy. You can visit what they have to offer over at anchorfishprinting.com. You can hit them up for all your merch needs, whether it's screen printing, embroidery, or maybe you just need some stickers. Mention the first ever podcast and get 10% off your order. Hello and welcome to the first ever podcast. I am your host, Jeremy Bohm. This is episode 91. And if it is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. I am excited to say that my guest this week is Mikey Erg, punk legend. Mikey has a new single and music video for a song called Caroline Told Me from his brand new record called Love It Leads which comes out June 24th on Don Giovanni Records. It was produced by none other than Steve Albini and features Jeff Rosenstock. This episode has some good Steve Albini talk, and um, it was really great talking to Mikey. I've never met him before. I've known who he is for a really long time. I believe if you've ever played the fest in Gainesville, you, uh, you have to know who Mikey Erg is. He, of course, played in the band The Ergs, and um, he's a very, very busy person. He had just gotten home from the U.K., and um, went immediately to play with the band Warriors opening for Jawbreaker. So it was cool to catch him in between these two things. Um, It was a lovely conversation. I want to remind you that if you have not subscribed to the show on Spotify, iTunes, Apple, wherever you're listening to this, it means a lot. Leaving a kind rating and review, super, super sweet. Um, All right, that's it. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Mikey Erg. All right, what's up, Mikey? How are you? What's up? How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing okay. Uh, for listeners at home, uh, this has been a scramble. Um, all, all my fault. Uh, my, uh, my drummer got wet. Uh, got wedding. My drummer got married <laughs> on. Uh, that should that should be the new way of saying it. Uh, got got uh, married on Saturday, and then we had you know. My I, my schedule was all backwards, so we had to reschedule this a couple times. And Mikey was so so incredibly kind to let me do that. So uh, I, I appreciate all of that. How are you holding up? I know you said you just got back from uh, from the UK, right? Yeah, yeah. We we were in the UK um, for a couple of weeks. 
uh, I was playing in a band called All Way Lou, and we were on tour with Jeff Rosenstock, a friend of the pod. Right. And uh, and fucking people just started dropping like flies to COVID, like people in the band. And, and it ended up the last few shows were just like basically Jeff solo with Kevin, like kind of playing drums and then like for, for the middle of the show. And then everybody in all the bands like learned a couple songs each on bass. And we just kind of like filled in for like the last. Right. And, and the first show we did that at was a sold out. 1400 capacity london show oh <laughs> so, yeah without a doubt the biggest crowd i've ever played bass in front of sure not my, not my main instrument yeah well i mean congrats on that um <laughs> i feel like those situations really do um bring a tour together and i'm just, i'm assuming most yeah. of you are all friends anyway but like, yes yeah but the the tour camaraderie when that stuff happens gets so real like the tour yeah. i just got back from um, the drummer in the in the band, then the direct support band, broke his wrist. Oof. So, one of the other openers literally had three drummers in the band, like like not all playing, but you know, like <laughs> they could, like three of them could play drums. Yeah, and then uh, the drummer of my band, and uh, it's like everybody just came together and was like, We're "Yeah, gonna figure this out. We're gonna." That was essentially our our situation. Like every everybody in All the Way Lou basically are multi instrumentalists can basically play whatever. So we all just kind of just learned a couple songs each and just, and you know, and it was a crazy show for that to have happened for, but almost the most exciting. It's like, is it, are we going to pull off this crazy, totally biggest show we've ever played in our lives? Like, yeah. Is that, (laughs) was that the most uh, hectic scenario that you've been in uh, like that? Or have you dealt with something like this in the past? Basically. I mean, there was one, one tour I was doing where a band from France was coming over and uh, I was playing in this band, The Copyrights, and we were about to do a full U.S. tour with this other band uh, from France. And I I could hear the our bass player on the phone with their bass player. And I was like, oh, and I, I knew the drummer's name and they're like, oh, he didn't get in. So I immediately just put my headphones on and just started learning the set because I knew the next question was, <laughs> can you fill in for this band? And that night I just like. Now we had we had toured with them over in Europe before, so I was vaguely, vaguely yeah. familiar. But you know how like you're you think you know a song, and then you realize oh, there's four parts that I forgot were in this song or whatever. You know, like totally. or that part goes for two bars more than I ever would have thought it did. Uh, so I had to get all that stuff in my brain, um, which yeah. is tedious. But it was you know so that stuff like that kind of happens sometimes. Right. <laughs> And it's funny because in those situations too, you, your immediate thought is like, how I have to help get the train going. We got, right. we got to make sure this happens. Yeah. But no, you're not thinking about like, okay, that kind of, uh, jeopardizes my entire schedule for that night. It's like, now I have yeah. to think about when I'm going to eat at a different time now. Now, I have uh, to yep. Like, yep. Especially like, oh, that means me playing three sets tonight. Yeah. So, cause I was already playing solo on all the shows as well. So it was like, oh man. yeah, I got probably three sets every night. I got to make sure that I eat at like 4 p.m. so that I have food yeah. in my stomach before this whole night goes by and I'm not <laughs> and I'm busy. This is actually, <laughs> this is a fun question to ask you because you are a uh, someone who has played uh, every instrument seemingly for for a lot of bands. Um, a fun conversation to have with people is like, all right, 
what is your food schedule? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like how many hours do you need? So my question for you is <laughs> for the instrument, how many hours do you need before each? Like for drums, is it a certain amount? And then singing is a different amount? So so many, pretty much every band member that I've ever had refuses to eat too close to set time. Yep. Where I I kind of need, I need food before before I play anything or yep. else I'm going to be hangry and or something else. Uh, so I always eat bef- like, right I mean, before? I, I, tr- I, I, I try not to make it right before I play, but depending on the situation, if, if we're in Nashville and I want some hot chicken and I got 35 minutes to eat it, I'm going to get that hot chicken. I'm going to eat it. And then I'm going to go on stage. Rest, <laughs> Rest, you know, Cause those, that my priority is getting the, uh, Getting yeah. that cool, getting that cool regional food, you know. Yeah. But, no. uh, <laughs> oh man, respect on that. I feel, I feel like it. Uh, it always has to. De- it depends on like what the actual food is too. Where for me, I'm like, okay, usually it's three hours, but if it's like barbecue, I need like seven. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. But, yeah, I wonder like if it would because I've only ever done. You know, I've I've never played in a band where I have to play for like three hours or whatever. Sure. But like, uh, but yeah, it's never really a problem. I usually if. If I have to sing, I'll usually kind of just try to burp in between lines. Of course, of course, of course. <laughs> I don't know, but I do need, like, I know that, like, I the, the worst case scenario for me would be to have to get through a whole set and on an empty stomach. Like, uh, not for some fun. reason that, for some, like, I, I was playing with the Star Fucking Hipsters for a while, and we we played a show at this place called Asbury Lanes, and I just, we just, of course, like, fucking pulled up, like, it was a pull in and play type situation. We were super fucking late. I didn't get to eat all day. And I like browned out during the set because I was oh, like, no. I, I was like so hungry. So from that moment on, I was like, I'm never not eating before. So I don't care if I miss the first five minutes of a set. Like I'm not, I have to eat before the set. <laughs> yeah. No, I feel like, especially for, for playing drums too, because yeah. you're burning so many calories at all times. So no, I feel yeah, that. Absolutely. So you're, <laughs> you're from New Jersey originally, right? Yep. Yep. Old Bridge, New Jersey. Uh, cause I'm bad at New Jersey geography. Tell me where that is. It's basically the town right next to New Brunswick. Oh, okay. Cool. So that we, we basically like the Ergs would always just say we were from New Brunswick Sure. because that was the only place anybody had ever heard of. Yeah. 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 No, (laughs) uh, the only place near us that anybody had ever heard of. We're also like, I mean, I grew up like 40 minutes outside of New York city. So like basically, you know, most of my punk, uh, shows and stuff were in New York city. Right, right. So when you were young, what was the first thing that you connected with musically that felt like it was yours? Maybe not something that was being played in the house, but something that, you know, maybe you discovered on your own that you connected with? Uh, well, early, I mean, the, my earliest memories are the Beatles and, and like classic rock. But, yeah, that was definitely stuff that I'd heard on the radio and, and was playing in the house and stuff. But I guess like the first... I guess maybe like the alternative rock stuff. Like I remember, I remember reading about, I've, I had a spin subscription at an early age and remember reading about Nirvana, like in the bleach era. And I know I picked that up, uh, cause we had, there was a record store called coconuts and, and there was a nobody beats the whiz near me, which is a, like a, a chain kind of electronics slash it's kind of like a, Best Buy ish type place. Okay. Um, and both of those stores, for some reason that I grew up right next to, had 
kind of underground stuff too. Uh, you know, like, uh, I don't know. They had, they had, you could get sub pop stuff there and stuff. So I picked up bleach and didn't, didn't like it. Wasn't into it, but Nirvana was definitely like in my, in my brain at that point for, and like finding out about certain stuff like that. Like I, I, I never had a problem getting like, you know, a meat puppets or a, like a black flag record or something because like this these stores for some reason carried they must have had cool people uh doing yeah. the ordering or something because like I, it was it was never a problem like once i got into like more underground punk stuff i had to move over to like we had a place called vintage vinyl we had a place called curmudgeon that were like the you could get any anything there like the most low budget seven inch singles they would carry like but but yeah, I guess like it'd probably be like the early pre mainstream like alternative stuff. Okay. Uh, and at the same time, I was also kind of a friend had showed me like Metallica and Megadeth, and you know, so I was getting like into metal post my uh, post my um, classic rock era. Sure. Yeah. And yeah, then yeah. And, and then in ninety ninety three ninety four, all bets were off. That's when that's when punk entered. Okay. And it's funny. That's when punk entered too, because that was, that's kind of like when all of that spin magazine stuff was about to start becoming everything. Well, I guess that was maybe more 92. Yeah. Like, yeah. I guess like 94, it's like obviously Kurt passes. Yeah. And all of that, but you're, so it's like you, it seemed like you were, I'm assuming you were probably like into the metal stuff around the time the black album came out. I'm yes. assuming that's like, yeah. What, like, yeah, Rust in Peace, like ninety, Rust yeah. in Peace, and like Persistence of Time, and those like those early late eighties, early nineties metal records was that that was like my absolute metal phase. Yeah. Uh, that I never like really, I never like disavowed metal or anything, but that sure. was when I was like purely listening to metal, which is like strange that I didn't gravitate to the Nirvana record. I don't know what it was about it that I wasn't super into, but. I did buy Nevermind like right when it came out like, yeah. before hearing it. And that was that was kind of more of the metal plus like pop that I think I might have been looking for. Like that was like an entire album of about a girls that I was like, okay. Yeah. It's we just listened now to, this is what I want. <laughs> right. Yeah. We just revisited uh we were talking about we had the conversation. I you know, the this like the best kind of van conversations where you're just like Man, if you had to say what your least favorite Nirvana song is, kind of question. And we were like, yeah. going back and forth. And we all chose like a song off of Bleach. And then we're like, let's just throw on Bleach for yeah. whatever reason. And we're all saying it's like About a Girl was so wildly ahead of its time for Nirvana. Whereas like, it's definitely the like outlier on that yeah. record. You know? Yeah. And it's so funny that it's like, you could tell that's where he, I mean, he was always there. It just took him a while to get to being only that type of song or not only that type of songwriter, yeah. but mostly that type of songwriter. I don't know. It was, yeah. Like, uh, nevermind was definitely like a game changer in terms of, okay, this is, you finally hit your, <laughs> hit your stride, you know? Yeah, no, and you know, sure. I love bleach now, obviously, but like, yeah. but there was a, yeah, there was a minute where I was like, I didn't get it. It took me a long time to get it. Right. Well, because also, I mean, like being, a, I feel, I, I can understand like being a metal kid, but then also, that record it's like it's not exactly scratching the metal itch right right it's not yeah. like it's not like fast riffs it's like weird melvin z slow stuff and it's probably pre before you maybe got into the melvins it, or absolutely yeah and it was all it was only when i was knee deep in fucking grunge that i got into mud honey and the melvins and you know sure so i just it, it, i just wasn't ready for it at yeah. that second you know 
Yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, also, shout out, rest in peace, uh, vintage vinyl. What a what a yeah, drag. What I a know drag. that was like that was seriously. I couldn't believe once we discovered that place, and like they had all the like you know I don't know fucking I could get the Boris the Sprinkler singles there that were <laughs> literally being like self distributed. I don't know how they got any of this stuff. Like I don't know how it worked back then. <laughs> uh, you know, but. Yeah, it was just like I never had to mail order, you know, for when I first got into punk and started listening to Max or started reading Maximum Rock and Roll and like ordering shit out of the from ads. Like once I found Vintage Vinyl, I never had to mail order a thing ever again. Like, yeah, until, until like now. Now it's back to like where you yeah. can't find anything anymore anywhere and you have to mail order. All. This is it's oh, funny. Like, this is kind of, this is kind of jumping ahead. Just or it's something when I was like doing research to of things to talk to you about. And I was looking at all the different labels you've released records through. And, yeah. I, was, and I was like, I'm familiar with almost all the labels um, one way or another. But when I was clicking around on them, uh, they all the Wikipedia pages for them would like say the distribution companies that they were with. And I was having right. record store flash because I worked at a record store in 2001 to 2005. Uh-huh. And the amount of like, oh, my God, Lumberjack distribution. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, Mortem. Oh. Mortem. <laughs> oh, my God. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, my God. I was just like, wow. Wow. Did you work at a record shop? No, but I just like know that I read literally every fucking sentence, every word on the back and liner notes of everything. And like, you know, there were so many labels that just said distributed by Mortem on the back. Totally. And I was just like, okay, this whatever this it's almost like you can you can like watch a movie. And if it says a 24 in front of it, you're like, okay, this is going to be a good movie. Yeah, (laughs) I could just see that it was distributed by Mortem. And I knew that Ruth wasn't wasn't going to put out wasn't going to distribute anything that was garbage it seemed like you know like yeah it was like almost like like yeah yeah, like when you could trust the label like where you could just buy everything and not have to worry about whether you think it's going to be good or not totally so what was the first concert that you went to the first concert well the first actual first concert i went to was the jackson's on the victory tour which was like essentially Michael Jackson's like thriller tour. Wow. And I was like, I don't know, it's probably two or three, but I was like, I was a rabid music fan from like second one. And I loved Michael Jackson at three years old. And my parents took me to that concert. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, and I, you know, obviously don't really remember it. I have like a blip of a memory of being in the nosebleeds and seeing a bunch of dancing ants on the stage in front of me, but like, uh, yeah, that, uh, so that was like technically my first concert, but, and then I didn't really see anything until kind of getting into like the local punk scene. And I saw, I saw some like, uh, you know, some, like a couple like local punk shows at like various, a couple VFW halls, just cause it was kind of what like, yeah some people were doing, but then my first actual club show was, um, silver chair in 1995 at the stone pony. Damn. So that was my, that began my love affair with the stone pony. And then, and then 96, I saw the descendants at Roseland ballroom. And that, that was like, okay, I'm never, I'm never not going to a punk show. (laughs) So firstly, do you remember who supported silver chair? I'm curious about that. Fuck. You know, I don't remember. Um, what about the Descendant show? Do you remember who else was on that? Oh uh, yeah, that that was insane. That was like a seven band bill or something. It was like I think the tour was them and Less Than Jake. It was called okay. the Caffeine Nation tour, and I remember the band Handsome. 
Yes, that band. Uh, they opened. Uh, Guttermouth played. Weston played. Okay. Uh, and I th- think that might have been it. Man, I feel like Handsome had a bad time on that tour. They're the they must have. Yeah, yeah that, they were absolutely. Yeah, that one doesn't make sense. Um, but that was all- also like back in the day where you could like. There were show that were that was shows back then where like sure. a, a weird like post hardcore band could play with like fucking a comedy gutter mouth. Yeah. <laughs> and like Weston is just like I I remember Weston opened and I missed most of them because the line was still like they probably went on like five minutes before doors or something. Like sure. it's one of those. Because there was a zillion there was like I, I think I am forgetting a couple bands because I remember I feel like there was like six or seven bands on that show. And it started at like 5 p.m. Oh, my God. And then, and so it was a normal tour, but they just had other bands on that specific show. Yeah, just bit. like that New York show just had like three extra bands. I think like Guttermouth and I think Guttermouth, Less and Jake and Descendants might have been the tour or at least the tour like on the East Coast or whatever. Sure. Um, yeah. But, that, you know, that that's a kind of a life changing seeing the Descendants for the first time is like. A life-changing event. <laughs> and that's Everything Sucks era? Yeah, or? yep. Yeah, it was right after Everything Sucks came out. Damn. That's, yeah, that's a good one. That's, yeah. that's, that's, uh, that's, so that's, that, yeah, that's what I consider my first punk show. Yeah. And. Respectfully, for sure. Yeah, right. Um, so when did you, was drum, I'm assuming drums was your first instrument? It was, yeah. My dad was a drummer, is a drummer, and, uh. There were always drums around, so I kind of always just kind of... He owned a recording studio, too, and so I would kind of just hang out there all day, every like after school or like in the summers, and there was always a drum set set up, and it was soundproof, so I could just fucking wail, and it didn't sound good, I'm sure, but then once, one day, it kind of... Like, I was doing that since, like, from, like, five years old, probably, and then I feel like around the time of, like, seven, eight, nine, I was started getting my rhythm together and like, you know, actually kind of being able to keep a beat. Right. Um, a fun question to ask is, uh, do you remember the first song that you remember being able to like play along to, or maybe a record you were playing along to? No, I never really played along to records. I, I basically just like would remember, you know, it's probably all like Beatles songs and stuff that those were like the early songs for me. And I was, I always remember just like kind of, playing along to them in my head because I knew the records like the back of my hand. So like I would just kind of play along to them. And then my dad had a, my dad was also in a pretty popular cover band in New Jersey. And so his like bandmates would like jam with me every now and then. And like, we'd pick like Beatles songs to play. So I know it was like definitely Beatles stuff was, was probably my, Bringo was probably my biggest influence, like in terms of, basically just wanted to be like a really good timekeeper and a really good, like just, you know, rhythm player. Uh, yeah. I can imagine, I can imagine, especially if you're like raised around, around that. And also it's like so many of those songs are just sort of like mentally built in the zeitgeist of everyone's head. So they're yeah. like, and so that, and also like not to take anything away from Ringo, who's obviously an incredible drummer, but like right. for someone who's learning how to play drums, the songs feel straightforward enough to where yeah, you're yeah. not, you're it's not definitely like yeah yeah right you know and then when when i got when i was playing and getting into metal like i would definitely like listen to what lars was doing and like you know i got i took a lot of stuff from lars like i i, I remember like finally figuring out that he would just hit the snare and the crash at the same time and being like oh i'm That's- doing that whenever i can <laughs> you know right. like uh 
you know, just stupid shit like that. And I got into uh, the police and I was like, okay, I'm going to get a couple splash symbols that didn't last, but you know, <laughs> you know just kind of taking whatever I could from these people that I was like super influenced by, even if I knew I like, I, I'll never ever, I could practice 24 hours a day for the next 18 years and never be able to be technically as good as Stuart Copeland. But like, you know, you take a couple little things here and there from each person that you, that you yeah. idolize. No, definitely. So what was the, uh, what was the first band that you ever started? Uh, I, the first band I was ever in was a, uh, again, with like a couple older, I was in middle school, I was in eighth grade and, and these kids were in like, I think they were sophomores in high school. And we kind of, the bass player of that band was the, was his brother was one of my classmates. So they kind of hooked us up together and it was a, it was a, it was called breach of security Perfect. and it was a, uh, but it was not a punk band, which is a, it's a pretty good punk band name, but we basically just did like doors covers and Beatles covers. And like the, the singer was like a super into like the blues. So he taught oh. me like, you know, all these old blues songs and cream and like, you know, we would do like Butterfield blues band songs and just like, it was cool. It was the first time I'd ever really played, with people yeah uh so it was it was definitely an education in 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 different styles of music and stuff like that um it's interesting and then, like, that, it's interesting that that's a high school band because that feels like right. pretty elevated for like most kids in high school just want to play metal or punk yeah and i obviously like i just gravitated gravitated towards these people that were like oh these are the these are the weirdos like the punk right. rock, the punkers are like the you know the people there but at the same time i was getting into punk and so like very shortly after that, I started starting my own or my first punk bands and kind of like writing my own, starting to write my own really horrible songs. <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, I was in a band, I started a band called PFR, which if, if parents were around, it stood for punk fri- pork fried rice. But if, <laughs> if they weren't around, it was punk fucking rock. Um uh, and then I started, or I, I kind of joined this band called the Flatliners, not the Canadian Flatliners, but we, we joke about that all the time now <laughs> that I'm friends with them. But that, and that, that band evolved into the Ergs, like right after high school, we just became the Ergs and that's when oh shit started happening. <laughs> yeah, no. Okay. That makes sense. Um, real quick though, with, uh, with breach of security, did you play any shows? Yeah, we did. We played, um. We played, we played our high school a few times, um, and, and all of these bands, uh, there used to be this kind of like weird pay to play kind of circuit where like, I guess clubs on off nights would just let this promoter kind of like get kids to sell tickets in their high school and make children sign contracts and be exactly liable for Yeah. Like basically like if you, if you didn't sell all these tickets, you owed the money, you know, it's like that bullshit, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, but you know, it, it did give us a place to play, and like, and we got to, like, I played the Stone Pony like at eighteen or, or seventeen because of that, you know, and shit like that. But and there's this place called Club Binet that turned into Club Chrome. Oh wow! Which okay. which had a lot of like you know uh, a lot of the early kind of emo and hardcore like two thousands yeah. emo and hardcore shows, and a place called the Birch Hill. Like they all these clubs would have these weird like sunday matinees or something where no one was happening with it all these pay-to-play shows would happen so i played a lot of those in those early like high school bands 
Um, do you remember the first show that you played though? Because I'm, I'm, obviously you're playing drums. Like, do you remember uh, being excited, or if you were, did you have trouble like keeping tempo because of nerves? Or no, anything? I was super nervous, but um, I I was super nervous, but I was it was it was more excitement. Um, actually, like I played in uh, in when I was in elementary school, I did a show, or I I we had a a, a chorus class. And we had a holiday show and someone and the teacher just at raised her hand and asked if anybody played drums. And I raised my hand immediately and then immediately regretted it because I was like, why did I do that? Like, I can barely play these fucking things. Um, so then I so I basically got roped into playing this show. I roped myself into playing this like holiday show. It was just like a song at the end. It's like a rock and roll Christmas medley. <laughs> I don't remember us ever having to rehe- ever rehearsing it. But I did like bring my drums in and set it up, and that was like the first time I ever played in front of people. And for that show, I was like my mom tells me I was I was a green, like I wasn't oh. even white. I was just a green. And then like the second I hit the last like cymbal hit, and I did I apparently did pretty all right. Uh, and the second I hit the last cymbal hit, like my, the 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 blood rushed to my face, and I like regained <laughs> my my natural uh complexion (laughs) but uh and but so that was the first and that was super nerve-wracking but then like i remember i because i feel like this that breach of security we we would just like uh, just for fun just rehearse like every day after school and stuff so we were pretty fucking tight by the time we like played a show and i knew i didn't have to worry about anything so like that was almost much more like excitement than nerves right uh and, you and were that saying, was cool. And you were saying some of those songs were covers. Yeah, they were pretty much all covered. I don't yeah. think we did we did originals like eventually, but like one or two of them. It was mostly covers. Sure. And mostly, mostly like probably half songs that I knew that I've been listening to since I was three years old. So, you know, it wasn't that crazy. But, um, but yeah, that was that. It, it, and there were a lot of people there. Like it was one of these. It was it was a thing called the Winter Carnival, where like. It was like a Saturday afternoon. Everybody from the school was there. Like, and you know, once you play music in front of people, you're, you're cool. It was like the first time I felt like cool. And then I got friends from it and stuff. So like, it was just like, okay, this is, this is for me. (laughs) I can do this. You can get used to that. Today's episode is brought to you by Death Wish Inc. For 20 years, Deathwish has been the go-to label for emerging punk and hardcore. That continues today with their recent releases from scene staples and promising newcomers such as Modern Life is War, Greet Death, Chastity, Converge, Frail Body, and more. Get 10% off all Deathwish music and merch in their store using the link deathwishinc.com slash the first ever, which automatically applies the discount and filters the site for only items included. Again, that is 10% off all Deathwish releases and merch when you visit deathwishinc.com slash the first ever. Have you checked out those new Greek death songs? Jesus, that band is good. Start there. What about, uh, so you mentioned that your, that your pops has a recording studio. So I was going to ask what your first time recording was. Was it there? Yeah. Um, once the... Yeah, that band, the, the Flatliners that I was in, in in high school, we I would just like, my dad would go play a gig and I'd be like, yo, come over. And like, we'd just record, like I knew how to work the board and everything. And we were using ADATs by that time. So I was just like, 
grab a few ADATs and just like we'd record our song, like all our all our early demo tapes and stuff. That was like me engineering and <laughs> yeah. recording. And then like we got a kind of around, I don't know, uh, kind of maybe like the second year of the year, 2001, 2002, we got a like computer set up. And that's when I just kind of lost interest in it because it, it didn't come as easy to me. You know, I, I can understand putting your hands on faders and putting your hands on uh, EQ pots and like making things sound different and touching a huge, L, you know, LA-2A and fucking making the compression go on and using a patch bay, like all that stuff, like super interested me. Yeah. And then once it was all in the box, I was just like, I don't understand how to make this work so that I just kind of <laughs> fell yeah. away from it. It's interesting how like, yeah, it seemed the situation where it's like, oh, this this seems a lot more intuitive because it's all in one place. But then for some people, it's like, no, but I kind of liked it being scattered. Cause it yeah, was I liked it being of- scattered. It just made more sense to me. Like it's still to this day. I still, as a, as we know from the beginning of this interview, I still don't know how to work this shit. <laughs> I still um, don't know how to make this work, but yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, so when looking at um, your discography and, and all that sort of stuff, like I, you know, I, I leave wiggle room because the internet isn't, as we know, always correct. Right. So (laughs) one of my biggest, one of my biggest mistakes was not like keeping a complete record of everything I've done. Cause I I always like regret that. I was going to ask, so I see there's a band called, uh, dirt bike Annie that you played drums for. Was that pre ergs by like a month or two, you know, like that was, so that was the, uh, around late high school, I started getting really heavily into mutant pop records. And there's like, they were this label from Corvallis, Oregon that just like put out like, you know, pretty great pop punk records, uh, mostly seven inches, but then they eventually got into doing albums. One of the albums they did was an album called hit the rock by dirt bike Annie which became my absolute favorite album of all time at that moment. And they also put out an album called Schools Out, Surfs Up, Let's Fall in Love by a band called the Kung Fu Monkeys, which became like my second favorite album of all time. And, uh, and they just happened to be New York-based pop punk bands, so I would just go see them, I don't know, two or three times a week. You know, every show they played, I would, yeah. I would go see. Uh, and eventually, they needed a drummer, and Joe, who plays in the Ergs with me, like was hanging out with them one day. We were all kind of, they, they knew us all from just going to the shows and stuff. And they're like, you know, Mike plays drums. You might want to try him out. And they were a little like apprehensive at first because I was this 19 year old, like straight edge, essentially like <laughs> kid. And they were these post-college, right? you know, humans, adults. <laughs> uh, so I did try out for them. And it was one of those situations where I just... You know, I feel like I've heard like in Dave Grohl's book when he joined Scream, you know, uh, Pete Stahl's like, what do you or Franz Stahl's like, what do do you want? What do you want to play? He's like, I know them all. Let's just fucking do it. And that's exactly what my Dirt Bug Annie uh, uh, tryout was. It was like, I know every song you have. Let's just let's just just go. Let's let's do a whole set list. And they were like, holy shit. okay, you weren't kidding. Um but then they they did not take me at first because I was a 19-year-old fresh out of high school kid. Right. Uh and I understand. Uh but then they like got they got someone else and he played one show and it wasn't good and they were like let's just call 
fucking mic back. <laughs> right. And so then, so I joined that band pretty much right out of high school. Uh, and in the interim, like the ergs had kind of be gravitated into the ergs. Uh, and then our, my first ever tour was a dirt bike Annie ergs tour. They were like, Oh, why don't you, why doesn't your old other band come with us? And so we did like a two week tour in the summer of 2000. So you're used to double duty. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I've always been in more than one band. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Having yeah. a tour doing that. Uh, yeah. Multiple sets. So it's funny. I, there's a there's an analogy that uh, that I feel like drummers always get hit with, which is like, if you're a drummer, you end up becoming like the friend with the pickup truck. Yep. Yeah. It's right. Like, it's like, oh, well. We'll just we, call we gotta, him. Yeah, we gotta call Mikey. He plays drums. We need a drummer because drum. As I mean, you know, drummers are about the hardest people to always find. Yeah, yeah, and that's you know, I mean, my I've I've played in a zillion bands, and that's you know, a it's because I really do live and breathe music, and I just wanted to. There was a time where I just wanted to do it twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, and everybody always needed a drummer. So, right, yeah. Uh, and so the record, uh, the the first Ergs record, the uh, the Dork Rock Cork Rock mm-hmm. record. Uh, I was looking, I was looking at that, and it's funny. I remember when that album was coming out, or like when it was coming out, because again, I was you know working at a record store. Oh right, yeah. at that time, and like that album cover, like is very, it pops. You know, it's like very <laughs> bright, and you know, like, yeah, whatever. So, um, what I was looking at though, which I was, I was like, wait a minute, the guy who recorded it, uh this is some new jersey shit but I, I saw he was a member of dead guy yep what yeah he was like in the last lineup of dead guy it's funny i don't know if you've seen that dead guy movie yet it's i talk in it i haven't watched it yet i, oh, I get, yeah. I, i'm interviewed in it for a second but but uh i, I again i haven't watched it i was a front watch they basically like, they show it and like <laughs> <laughs> it's just funny because uh the bass player is just like this guy came in with this fucking ski cap and I was like, fuck this shit. And I threw a bass at him and I left. And like, <laughs> that's Chris Pierce. He, he still has the ski cap to, oh to this God. day. And he went to the screening of it and he was like, this is the hat that broke up dead guy. Here it is. But yeah, he was in dead. He was playing guitar for dead guy for did the last, play, like, did he play on? What, what, cause I don't think he's on any of the records. Yeah, I, I think I know that was the last one that the, I think uh, they basically like, he did like the last tour and that's when they broke up or something like okay. on that tour yeah because something like that but yeah he was also in in all these like new england pop punk bands like this band sinkhole and this band doc hopper okay and like and those were our like at that time uh some of our favorite bands not to so, yeah not and not to us this is just an, a quick guess is was chris the first person outside of um like doing stuff yourself or whatever to record with no we did we did a couple like our first two eps uh like our i did the demo i did the ergs demo and then like the first two honest to goodness eps that we made adam from dirt bike annie who also had like a home recording set up oh, okay cool he recorded like our, our our two eps and then we kind of met chris via being at shows and he had moved to New Brunswick by that point. So we would just kind of see him around and we were like, would you ever want to record us? And he was like, sure. And, uh, so we did like kind of a test session where we just did like a couple hardcore songs and a couple just shit, just shit we had floating around. Yeah. And it sounded great to us. So we, 
ended up doing the album with him. And so yeah, the rest say, of sister. So, that, so, so I was gonna say, I'm assuming that's the first. So that was probably the first person you recorded with that was outside that's a, of your. That was the first person I recorded at. Yeah, where, where there was a full. It was the first time I recorded on tape. Okay. Um, first, you know, first like yeah, real studio and like, you know, that's why we decided we we should probably do like a a no pressure session first. You know, sure. Um. Yeah, and then yeah, and and we worked with him for most of our existence. Yeah, even just like clicking around and like looking, yeah. out, you know, because I always like to look up like who people worked with and stuff. Um, and this is this is kind of a, a just a, a quick question I was thinking about is, did you ever record records live? Because obviously you played drums and sang. Like, uh, did you ever have to do yeah, those at I, the same time? No, I I never did the drums and vocals at the same time. But we we did. The Ergs would always do guitar, bass, and drums at the same time. Okay. And then every, usually Joe, usually Jeff and I would get it on whatever take we got it. And Joe would always want to fix like certain things, you know, he would just punch in stuff. Like he never redid a whole take really, but like, so essentially our records are recorded fairly live. Live Uh, And then, yeah, live enough. And then I would just do the, uh, do the vocals after. And then we do various other crap. Like the first couple records I would play. I would play a second rhythm guitar over Jeff's rhythm guitar. So there was, you know, the, the left, right separation. Right. Uh, but yeah, we, we basically did, did it live. And when did you start wanting to play other instruments? Like were, were they always floating around and you messed around with other people's stuff or. Yeah, well, I, I, I had a guitar pretty early on, but I never really knew how to play it. And then one night I just got frustrated looking at this guitar and not being, this was fairly early on, probably like, I don't know, 12 or 13. I, uh, you know, was sick of looking at this guitar. I kind of wanted to write my own stuff and didn't have a vehicle to do that. So I just, I got a Beatles songbook and just spent one night, stayed up all night and just taught myself every song in the Beatles songbook Whoa. just because I knew exactly how they went. And so I just be, oh, okay, that's a G chord. Okay. You know? And I obviously didn't have it down in one night, but like I taught myself chords. And then once I got more into punk rock, I taught myself bar chords and how to like maneuver them and just kind of practiced getting that as fast as I could. Yeah. And then, and then kind of stopped learning how to play guitar. So like I, I'm very limited in terms of like I just, I play enough to be able to write a song. And play feel, rhythm guitar. <laughs> yeah, there's a joy in that. I feel like I feel like half half punk guitar players are exactly that. That's certainly yeah. that's certainly where I was. Where it's like I took a couple lessons, didn't really learn much, and then a friend taught me the bar chord now, or like yeah. the power chord, and then the bar right. chord. And I was like, well, I'm not going beyond that. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I made the mistake of like I was I was listening to an Elvis Costello interview, and he was like, I only know enough guitar to accompany myself on my songs, and I was like, okay, that's all I want to do too. Now. Yeah. He's a way better guitar player than I am, but it, it, you know, I can. Uh, it serves its purpose. I can write the songs and I can play rhythm guitar on them if I need to. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, I just made like notes here and stuff, and something I wanted to just ask about, just because I just uh, was listening to a podcast that involved this person. Um, uh, how was being part of the Chris Gethard show? That seemed like it was a blast. Oh, it was a blast. It was so fun. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, my my job was to play drums and laugh, basically. Right. <laughs> uh, I just, uh, what kept me going throughout our whole entire tour was I listened to that Dead Eyes podcast. That oh, of, yeah. That oh, yeah. Yeah, and it's cool. Yeah, I got to meet him. We we bonded over, like, uh, music for a lot, a long time. And, and like, um, yeah, it was just, like, it felt like being a part of you know those 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 shows we used to watch on MTV that would come on at like one in the morning, like those fringe, like you know, even like the young ones or the state or like you know whatever. It just felt like that kind of humor, totally, and which is totally my fucking shit. And it was just like this is I can't believe I get to be a part of this thing. It was right, super cool. That's a great that's a great <laughs> analogy for it. Yeah, dude, the state is my all time favorite show. Oh, all me time. too. Yeah, oh. it's so good. <laughs> I'm sure we could spend the rest of this podcast just quoting. Yeah, quoting, uh, <laughs> absolutely. What was the you just saying that talking about fringe or uh, uh, sorry fringe uh, MTV shows? It made me think of what was the one. Do you remember the Oddity show? Yeah. What yeah. was that called? Where it was like. Uh, people, I think it was called MTV Oddities. I oh, think is that right. <laughs> Where it was like they had musical guests, but it was like yeah, Simon just did like. No, I'm almost positive it was called Oddities because I think like Ween played on it or like yes. you know I think the, yeah there was like a bunch of like I mean local, that was so cool yeah like local H played on it yeah like, right oh my god that's like good. that and like the John Stewart show is when yes. like like you you'd see like all these kind of alternative bands play <laughs> play yeah. like that's I got into all that shit from that like. Yeah, I, you know, that was, it seemed like such a cool, because that was filmed in New York, I'm assuming, right? Yeah, I, I assume, yeah. Um, no, 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 uh, sorry, the Chris Gethard show. Oh, oh, yes, yeah, yeah, it was, um, in, Man- in Manhattan, yeah. Yeah, like, I, you know, I I, I wish that was something that I, I was able to to attend, because whenever I saw footage from it, it just looked like a great hangout. Everybody just yeah, seemed it was to be cool. all there for the right reasons, and it was fun. Some, yeah. Sometimes it was chaos. Sometimes it was just fun. Sometimes it was like, it was like a perfect mix of like, I don't know, just everything. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, I also saw that you, uh, so you play drums in uh, Warriors, right? Yeah. You're about to go, go uh, practice. Yeah. 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 And about, uh, about 20 minutes, I got to go to Warriors practice because yeah. we're doing a couple of shows with Jawbreakers. So that'd be cool. Lauren didn't move back out there, right? No, no. Uh, yeah, just that the the jawbreaker shows that they happen to be doing are the East Coast ones. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, um, uh, I I see Lauren semi often because Dan Ozzy is my neighbor. Ah, uh, yes, yes. <laughs> so so uh, the, there'll be a pool party or two uh, that I've that I've. Been well, yeah, that was the thing. I was I was also like I was listening to your Jeff Rosenstock episode, and oh, yeah. I was like, yeah, I feel like we've had we have a bunch of mutual friends, and we've probably been in the same room a bunch of times. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> we just uh, the the gentleman who just um, came on tour with us is a new is a New Brunswick, New Jersey guy. Uh, do you guys do you know Jake Katz? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He uh, we we so desperately needed a front of house tour manager, and our manager literally found him on fucking LinkedIn. Oh wow! <laughs> and that's. Uh, yeah, so I I was like, so when I researched him, I was like, I was like, I was like, wait a minute, he's he's toured with Jeff, he's toured with Pup, he's toured with yep. you know, he knows all these people. So everybody yeah. was like, he's the best. So yeah, yeah. it's like, oh, you know, you know that that you know he's going to do if he's working with those people, you know, he's going to do a good job. Exactly. Oh, so, nice, ge- nice Jelly Roll Rockhead shirt. Oh man. Yeah, we're meant <laughs> to be like, friends. 
the early ergs like kind of based our existence on that oh that's true <laughs> we're like oh they kind of sound like power violence and the ramones oh that's fucking crazy awesome Ab- dude absolutely <laughs> the the theme song for the podcast was my poor attempt at trying <laughs> to do a real rockhead song nice um, that makes sense i wanted before we go i wanted to talk to you about the new record though so the first thing that caught my eye uh is um i and i look like your last solo record did it too um i love the blue note record oh yeah like so that this one looks like sidewinder and mm-hmm. i think that's or uh, the turnaround actually, turnaround that's which, what i meant to say but, so sorry but turnaround. yeah but but sidewinder is yeah i mean it's all that aesthetic yeah. and um yeah hey, and, I de- and i definitely that was like the note that i the the uh, turnaround was the note that i gave to like the person who drew the heart design and, and to John Yates, who is, who has been doing blue note. Right. Style stuff for a while. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm just a huge, huge blue note fan. It's, it's funny. I, I'm wearing a sideline or, or a turnaround t-shirt on the back cover just out of, you know, we yeah. took the photos like a year before, <laughs> before the album art was done. So like, I just happened to be wearing. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome! I was like, uh, "Whoops!" Well, so, should we? Should I, I was almost like, "Should we Photoshop that?" No, keep it, keep it in, keep it in. <laughs> um, so I saw you did the record with Steve Albini. Yeah, yeah. Was this your first time working with him? Yeah. Tell me yeah, about first time meeting him. Uh, tell me how that know, experience was. Literally a dream. You know, obviously huge Nirvana fan. Literally a dream since I heard that. The in utero was the first record I heard that he did, um, and you know. That kind of that drum. I mean, as a as a fan of Sonics for my entire life, like I'd never heard anything like it before, you know. And like I'd p- been kind of like chasing a sound like that for forever. And you you know, it's hard to get that sound anywhere else. And uh, so, and it just so happened that like Joe from Don Giovanni had been doing some stuff with him. Like he'd recorded a couple of Don Giovanni records and. I was like, do you think it's a possibility? He's like, dude, I'll call him right now and we'll yeah. just set it up. <laughs> and we just set it up. And, you know, he's he's not prohibitively expensive. And uh and you walk in and it's it was super easy. Like he just had he has everything dialed in. We were tracking within like 20 minutes, probably. <laughs> like his you whole, know, like his whole thing, I mean, has always been and and I'd be curious to hear your take on it. It's basically like, is his still is his mantra basically just like I record bands what they sound like. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of what we wanted. We just wanted, you know, I, I've always been kind of a, you know, like every Erg's record was just, we we can kind of produce ourselves. Like we know what the, we want this to sound like. We just need someone to get it on tape. Yeah. And that like, uh, yeah, that was kind of the, 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 the thing for this record. And, and, you know, I just wanted that. I just wanted that sound on my songs for forever. And, uh, and it's the only record I've ever made that sounds like I thought it was going to sound in my head before we did it, you know, like, cause, cause it's not going to sound any different than a Steve Albini record than, a, right. you know, a, a current Steve Albini. I made a joke. He was like asking me what I wanted with the record. I, and I said to, I want it to sound like you did it. And, uh, and he, he broke into the story. He's like, now don't say that because there was this one record I did in like the eighties. And I just went wild with the, you know, it was my first time working in an actual studio. I put gated reverb on everything and like, <laughs> yeah. And, and I was like, well, don't make it sound like that. You know, make it sound like a, a current Steve Albini record. Right. Of course. Of course. <laughs> He's got such a, it's so fascinating with him too, because I'm sure probably 
half the people that he's recorded in his life have come yeah. in saying, I want our record to sound like the Pixies. I want right. our record to sound like Nirvana. And then he's like, well, if, that, if that's not how you sound, yeah, right. it's not going to exactly. sound like that. Yeah. So, you know, and we were, we were very conscious, you know, fucking Jeff did the record with me and, and my friend Alex and my friend Lou, and we're all gigantic fans. And we basically were just like, okay, like we get all of our mentioning of Nirvana and the Pixies and the Breeders right. out in the car and then try not to mention it in <laughs> in the studio. But like every once in a while, he'd like turn around and he'd be like, yeah, you know, when Kurt was like singing into that type of microphone, like we realized it didn't really work. You know, it's just like, he said it. He did it. I didn't have to, I didn't have to get it out of him. He said it. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I love that. So, he's, I love that. He doesn't keep that in the, you know, like locked away that he's open. No, he, he doesn't. Like, he, he's super cool. open. Like we, we had like an hour long conversation about him recording Bush and like, wow. <laughs> like it was just like, it was cool. Like, uh, yeah, he doesn't shy away from that. You know, I'm that's sure he doesn't cool. want to, I'm sure he doesn't want to be punished by it, uh, all session, but you know, right. We kind of just made sure we didn't, we, we let him, Bring it to us. No, we Naturally. <laughs> yes, of course. Uh, well, Dan, well, let me hit you with the last question that I appreciate you sharing that. I love that. Um, yeah, I, he's someone fun. that he's someone that is like a bucket list for me. It's like, even if it's just to do a seven inch. Dude, same. Yeah. It was you know? just like, I, I have to like, I'm basically at the point in my, you know, quote unquote career that I'm like, I'm just trying to make my dreams come true at this point. Yeah. Like I know enough people that I can probably make some of this shit happen. You know, like the, the last record or, you know, the, 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 the second record I made, we, I was like, I'm just going to message Abbey road and see if they'll master it. And they did. And I went there and it was awesome. And I was like, well, that, okay, check that off. Uh, the last record I was like, oh, I wonder if Stefan Edgerton from the descendants will mix this record. Yep. Okay, cool. Check that off. You know, I'm just trying to make, make these dreams happen. <laughs> exactly. Cause there's that thing where you, where uh, we often remember, um, everybody likes money. Yeah, so exactly. <laughs> as long as you got it, most people are down. Yeah. Basically like when I did the Abbey road thing, they're like, how'd you get that happen? I was like, turns out if you pay them to do it, they'll do it. <laughs> exactly. Um, cool. Well, let me hit you with the last question, which is when was the first time that you felt like you were doing the thing that you'd been working so hard towards? Um, well, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I guess it's, it's weird because it's kind of like, so working so hard, because like, the, I mean, honestly, that first tour with Dirt by Ganny was just like, okay, I'm, my entire life I wanted to be on tour in one of my favorite bands and just like playing music. And that happened. <laughs> and I was just like, okay, I, I, I'm, I'm spoiled. But, but then, I don't know, then writing, starting to get my own song like probably i guess i guess when like dork rock cork rod finally started getting like when we played the fest the first time uh and it was fest four this was that was early on too but like i guess i just got lucky where like razor cake had written about us and that was like a mind-blowing thing for me and then we just got we got on this good show at the fest and and it was a couple hundred people singing along to songs that I wrote. And that was just, I mean, there's no feeling like that in the world. Uh, and that was kind of just like, Oh wow. I've, okay, I'm, I'm here. That's, <laughs> that's, this is exactly what I've been dreaming about for the longest time, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I've basically just been doing that ever since just playing music for, 
for the longest time. And then, you know, another turning point was getting on the Gether show and being actually paid for it, <laughs> uh, which is, you know, that's Helpful. the dream. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And that was, that was, that was prop. That's probably like the actual answer to your question was like probably doing the Gethard show, being on TV. My parents were both like, Oh, you're actually, you're doing it. Like I can yeah. actually turn on my TV and watch you play music. That's okay. That's pretty cool. Yeah. You know, like, so that's probably the actual answer is just like doing the Gethard show. It's just like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm having fun. I'm making money. I'm playing music. This is cool. Love it. Love like it. this is it. <laughs> I love it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mike. I appreciate it again for you being so accommodating. This is a really fun talk. Uh, yeah, our, absolutely. Our path, I really hope our paths cross. Um, yeah. yeah. Hopefully I'll be out. You're out in LA, right? I am. Abs- yeah. uh, obviously Dan Ozzy's neighbor. Um, yeah. Well, uh, Maybe we'll end up at a pool party together at some point. I'm all about it. I'm all about it. Hey, good cool. luck. At, are those shows this weekend, you said? Yeah, uh, Thursday and Friday, I think. Amazing. Well, good so, luck at those. I wish yeah. I could. Or when, no, no, no. Wednesday and Thursday. Wednesday and Thursday. Oh, <laughs> I'm so we're away for the West Coast shows, so I'm jealous yeah. to even just see that show. It's awesome. Yeah, they they, they did a couple. I just, you know, it's because I just got back from the UK. They had already, they've already done a couple shows with a fill-in drummer, and uh, they got to play with the Get Up Kids, too, which is like. Damn would have been a dream but um yeah i'm excited i'm so excited this is gonna be cool like awesome i, lo- I love jawbreaker so yeah hell yeah we'll give lauren right. my best and uh, we'll do we'll do yeah take care okay all right bye <laughs> And that is our show. Thank you so much to Mikey for coming on and thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this and you have not subscribed to the show, please do that. Find it on Spotify, on Apple, on iTunes. And also we do have a Patreon. You can find that at patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. And um, helping out there means the world. All right. Take care of yourself. I will see you next week. Bye-bye.